we all want our voices to be heard. When we share and engage with our peers, we want to feel that what we share is received, believed, and more importantly, acknowledged. For far too long, this has not been the case. Many of the protests and marches that we have witnessed over the past year are the result of those who have long dealt with feeling marginalized and dismissed. What if we took the time to not just hear the voices of those who speak, but to truly listen to what they hope to convey? What if we focused on lifting one another up as we love with the heart of Jesus? What if we made the decision to live out of an overflow of grace and not an overflow of those things that have created struggle and caused deep-seated pain? I'm Anita Tolliver, and today I get to chat with Machaka Young. She too has spent the last year serving on the Racial Reconciliation Task Force. I'd like to have Machaka to go ahead and introduce herself. Hello, I'm Machaka Young, Greenville native. Um, I have three kids, um, been at Taylor's for probably, I think it's been like five years, I think. Um, and yeah, I've enjoyed getting to know all of you on the racial reconciliation team. I can't believe it's been a year. It's been a year. Can I get you to share a fun fact about yourself? Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> think of one. And then I asked my daughters for a fun fact, and my youngest never responded to the text message. And my oldest was like, I think fun facts for us are just normal stuff about you, so we don't really <laughs> know a fun fact. But we settled on I'm a hiker and a knitter. So. Oh, what a combination. A hiker. <laughs> okay, and a knitter. So what have, where have you hiked and what have you knitted? Table Rock. I've been several times. I did Table Rock Trail. Uh, took five hours the first time because I was way more in shape. The second time I didn't realize I was out of shape. It took me <laughs> six hours and it got dark. Um, that's probably been the hardest. I recently went up to Gorgeous State Park in North Carolina with my aunt and we did Thought it was going to be a, like a moderate trail, but it ended up being very difficult, um, unfortunately. And she's like a new hiker, so. Oh. <laughs> but she survived. <laughs> and then knitting, I've knitted. I started with scarves. My very first project. So I had a coworker at work um, where I used to work who taught me how to knit. And my very first project was a scarf that I still have. And I love it. Oh. Um, so I've knit scarves and blankets. And um, I started doing baby clothes last year. The problem with knitting is just finding the time. Okay. to finish projects. So I start a lot of projects and then I just kind of sit there. So, Well, that, that's pretty cool. I don't think I would have ever um, pegged you as a knitter. <laughs> Hiker, yes. Knitter, mm, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, okay. That, that's fun. That's interesting. But I want to talk about um, this statement that you made during a conversation. So here we go. During um, a conversation we were having as a team, you made a statement that probably translated in a way that most weren't exactly sure how to respond. My initial thought was, hmm, I'm not sure I know what she's asking, but I felt like I should have known. So this is the statement. Why can't white people understand why we didn't all start from the same place? Yes, or that we didn't all start from the same place. No, okay, we didn't all start. So can you explain exactly what you meant? So I think just recently, uh, you know, when all this racial trauma was kind of come back up, I got to hear from more from my white peers than, than I had in the past. And what I seemed to started to hear, it was a common thread, was that it just seemed really dismissive. Their, 
And it could just been very um, innocent and um, honest. I don't get it. I don't understand. But even when I try to explain it or others try to explain it, it's just dismissed. It, it It's attributed to all types of things except what we're trying to say is that it's different. Mm -hmm. it, it has been different for us in this country. And I will be honest, like, it's not like I have all of these instances of being discriminated against. But as a whole, you know, everybody has a story and yes. it's real. And why... Why are you trying to rationalize it away? Why don't you just believe what I'm saying, especially as your sister in Christ? Mm -hmm. Why would you not just believe what I'm saying? So like, you know, we help as a church, we help people, mm -hmm. right? Financially, emotionally, we support people. Right. We do mission trips. And it's like, it's just another one of those. It's just your sister in Christ saying that this has happened to me. This does happen to me or people I love. Mm -hmm. It was hurtful. Okay. But I don't get that. I have gotten it from people. Now, I'm talking very general, okay. but um, not everybody is this way. But I just got, you know, it's just I don't believe you or it's dismissive. Can you think of an example that you could share? Maybe one or two examples just to. Um, so where I used to work, um, I was a financial advisor. So. The way we used to do things is we used to link up with a couple of advisors when you're new. You bring in a more tenured advisor into a meeting with a client. So we were with a prospective client. This client absolutely loved football. Like, I mean, he went on for like 20 minutes talking about football. We both were looking at each other like, when is he going to wrap this up? Um, so when he finished, he said, the other advisor said, um, well, I stopped watching NFL when they started that kneeling crap. Okay. And the client was kind of like, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Like, because this client just purely loved football. He, I don't think he cared about any of that. I just want to watch football. And he said that, and he was like, that kneeling crap. In oh. an open meeting with yes. lots of people. No, just me and the other advisor and the potential client. Okay. This is a personal meeting with him, you know, potentially bringing him on as a client. And he called it crap. And I swear, my whole body mm -hmm. heated up. I don't think I've ever, ever felt that sensation before. And I'm a thinker. I, I'm a deep thinker. Um, so I took a few days before I said anything, but I knew I was going to have to say something. So I went to the managing director there to get some advice. And he said, you know, I know him. I know that he, you know, is not racist. He doesn't, you know, that's just not him. You should talk to him. So I did. Directly to the person that made the comment? Yes. Okay. I went and talked to him, asked for some time talk with him and I told him I said you made this comment and first of all I wanted to make sure he understood that we don't have to agree about the kneeling yes it, professionally it was unprofessional to say that in a meeting okay. you have no idea what that client thinks how they feel mm -hmm. we need to keep that separate from from what we're doing with the client um, but you know he expressed that he felt very strongly about it um, he had a father who was in the military mm -hmm. and um, his comment was why can't they just go and help some kids in the inner city mm -hmm. I don't know where this inner city is that always comes up in these types of situations <laughs> but um, you know we I walked away like it wasn't gonna be ultimately resolved as in he's gonna agree with me right. but I, I did say you know you can't tell people how to protest um, obviously the blatant things like violence and burning down building, no, but if that's the way they choose to protest for something, mm -hmm. 
I don't think you should have much comment on that. It doesn't affect you. I meaning what they're processing, you wouldn't understand. I have a black son. I have two black daughters. I totally get why. I also have veterans in my family mm -hmm. and they're okay with it. So not everybody thinks that way. Right. Um, so did you guys just agree to disagree? Yeah, this we just agreed to disagree. And we, yeah, and we agreed that he would not say anything like that in a meeting. Like he would watch his words. Like that wasn't appropriate. Um, so we were good after that. We spoke, we passed each other. You know, it's just, you know, it is what it is. Um, and then do you want another example? Yeah, sure. Yes. Um, this gentleman, same firm, he was just known for just saying things and he just sometimes his jokes and stuff were just inappropriate. And um, he made a joke about the Black, Black Lives Matter slogan or whatever. He was like, you know, we're financial advisors. So he was like, yeah, rich lives matter. And my thing with that is, that's the problem. You take something that a group of people are saying to you, there's a problem here, we're hurting, we're not being treated well, and you make a joke out of it. Now, these are people who claim to be Christian, who are Christian. Yeah. That is the most hurtful part, is that I thought I could count on you to at least... It's like, you know, I hear you. I don't really get it. It doesn't seem that way to me. But just kind of be in your speech. Be graceful, um, gracious, um, kind, respectful. Uh, yes. We don't have to agree. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can deal with the disagreement. I totally can. What I can't deal with very well is the dismissiveness and not even giving me a chance, like making joke out of it. I'm sitting here in the room. Hello. <laughs> Yes. I'm sitting right yeah. here. So sometimes you would say they were insensitive. Very insensitive. Um, just, I think for the gentleman, the first gentleman, I think I would like to think that he was going to be more thoughtful about what he said in any situation. Mm -hmm. I think until you challenge someone or hold them accountable, I think sometimes people just need that conversation. Right. For the second gentleman, it, it, it wasn't going to change anything. I didn't think it was worth worth the conversation, um, and it was just him. I don't think everybody else in the room felt that way. It was a predominantly white firm, yeah. um, which is typical, you know, that in the financial industry, not a lot of women, not a lot of people of color. Um, but I have a lot of great friends at that firm that I still keep in touch with, love, love, love them. Um, but that was just two particular things that stood out to me. Yeah, and they made you feel? Yeah, that first one, you know, where he said, crap, it was just like, I was unseen unimportant like I mean it didn't even cross his mind that me being black I might be okay with the kneeling like I might actually you know like he assumed and I, I feel like sometimes that is the white male mentality or maybe the white privilege that comes out mm -hmm. you think everybody thinks like you mm -hmm. and that your way is the only way to think it's way. and it's right mm -hmm. and I need you to see and hear me and understand that there are other people here with different experiences yeah. and your experience is not the American experience. It's, you know, it, everybody's, you know, experience is that. So. Well, I do have to say one of the things that I've learned in my life, and I'm glad to hear you say that you did this, you went to him mm -hmm. and I am the type of person, if someone says something to me and if I find it offensive, I do. I want to go directly to them. I don't want to go to 10 other people. Mm -hmm. I need to go to you. Mm -hmm. um, because I also learned that sometimes people make comments in groups 
that they probably wouldn't make if you were one on one. Um, I can see that. Yeah. So, and I've all, and I taught my kids that. Yeah. I feel like you can say something to any person as long as you say it respectfully. Yeah. I have taught them that since they were young because right. I never, I never wanted them to be in a situation where, where people talked uh, over them or as if they weren't there mm-hmm. or as if they didn't matter because mm-hmm. we all matter. Right. Right. We all matter. Right. Right. Um, so I do admire you for going to him. I would have done the same thing and I've had to do that <laughs> on occasions. I really have. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I, um, that's something that's just been there. A part of my personality is to just face things head on, mm-hmm. but that was very, very difficult. It was, I don't know, my first situation like that in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So I did go to one of my mentors and ask them how they would handle it. It's just a touchy subject, you know? Yeah. And I knew I was going to have to continue to work or at least see that person. Um, but yeah, I just figured, give somebody the opportunity to say, you know, he might, he said exactly what I thought he was going to say. He didn't agree with me. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But what if he had said, wow, I had never considered that. And maybe he said that after I left. Mm-hmm. He just didn't tell me, but you just never know, like when we plant those seeds. And I went to him, you know, humbly, but, you know, I need you to know whether you change your behavior or not, that it wasn't okay. Okay. I'm sure he thought about it. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for explaining that, um, what you meant and giving those examples. So what did you think I meant? Well, I wasn't sure if you were going in the direction of talking more about uh, white privilege mm-hmm. or um, that you had been given some opportunities and maybe that made you feel like uh, you just hadn't been treated fairly. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't sure. Okay. And I'm thinking, knowing your age, that maybe... It was situational, mm-hmm. something very situational, because I think what opportunities have we not been given mm-hmm. in where we are right now, mm-hmm. and uh, what can't we do? I'm like, well, what can't she do? Yeah. Um, and I, I knew that you were a bright, smart person in mm-hmm. the financial industry, so mm-hmm. I just didn't know what to think. I wasn't sure. Yeah, I think that probably came out more too when I started in the financial services industry, I did see a difference in some, like it's predominantly white. Um, I didn't even know that was an option mm-hmm. growing up. And it's it's um, mostly white males. Okay. Um, that's statistically. And so I think I saw it most there where it's not that we don't have the opportunity. I just think, you know, we, we grow up and we're like, I want to be a doctor, I want to be an attorney. I think for sometimes for white people, because they've had different experiences, have been exposed to other things that maybe some people who have less resources have. Mm -hmm. um, I want to be a financial advisor like that is not that was not Mm -hmm. on my (laughs) radar. Nobody in my family, um, even just business owners. And I think um, like you remember the example Pastor Josh gave about the land Mm -hmm. and the like that is just like a perfect example of no one's probably blatantly trying to keep me or you from doing something, but it's just, I think it's important to understand that history and that story, like, and and that it still affects you. Like that generation who ended up owning that land and and it was worth millions, Mm -hmm. that set their family on a very different trajectory than maybe a black family who couldn't even buy land in that area. That's, I think that's significant because 
we talk about generational things that go down through the family. Right. And I think that has an effect on it. Okay. But on a positive side, thinking where you are now mm -hmm. and the children that you have and they get to see you in this career. Mm -hmm. And because it's in the financial industry, you get to teach them mm. about money and how to um, think about becoming mm -hmm. wealth, you know, yeah. wealthy. Building wealth. Building wealth yep. and legacy. Managing wealth. So while maybe your grandparents or your parents that didn't have that opportunity mm -hmm. to present this to you, you get to do this for them. Yeah. And absolutely. they get to carry this on to the next generation. And they get the privilege, I don't know if you say it was a privilege, of learning beside their mother because I'm learning this as I got into the industry. Yeah. So they get to, as I learn it, they learn it. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to my daughter the other day about how much life insurance I had. Mm -hmm. And she was like, if you die, I don't want any of your any money because <laughs> you died. And I was like, okay, I can see how you can see it that way, but that's not really the way. <laughs> like, you need to be taken care of if something happens to mom. It's like, I don't want to get money because you died. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I talked to him about real life yeah, things like so life get insurance, to explain investing. those things to them. Mm -hmm. And maybe uh, 40, 50 years ago, that was not the case. Mm -hmm. So this is this is positive. This is good. Yeah. And if you, uh, when you purchase a house, we get they get to sit beside us and see. Yeah. We're purchasing a house. These are the things that have to be in place before you get to do these mm -hmm. things. Um, I know every decision that I make and it deals with something financial or anything major, I am constantly talking to my kids. Mm -hmm. You need to know these things. You need to understand mm -hmm. this. Um, and it was just educating them has always been very important to me, which is one of the reasons that I chose to homeschool my kids because I needed, I just wanted to make sure I knew what was going in. Not that anybody else didn't have anything to offer them. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I just felt that um, as their mom, um, I wanted to have that opportunity yeah, that's to, wonderful. to mold them. And, yeah. and I, did I didn't even know you homeschooled. Kids. Yes, I did. For all of their years in now, school? Uh, we did it from elementary school up until high school. Wow. Not my son, but my girls. Mm -hmm. So that was important. I know now my son is in college and we talk a lot about uh, credit. Not a lot, but we've talked more about credit than we ever have. Mm -hmm. And just because he's being offered credit, for one. Um, and two, I just he's thinking more about being on his own and what that looks like and mm -hmm. being independent. Uh, so that's something that I don't think my mom knew anything about, but, you know, I get to teach her. And just really, to be fair, Americans in general, mm -hmm. we, we've gotten, I think we all could use some financial education, no matter yes, what. Absolutely. Um, you know, ethnic group you belong to, because I just think we, we've lost that along the way. Mm -hmm. um, we're like definitely a debt society. Well, looking so. at the debt that you see, <laughs> I, I, I think there's some truth to that. <laughs> so yeah, it should definitely be taught in the, in the high schools and middle schools. Yeah, I, I'm definitely all for that. Okay. Well, thanks for just clearing that up. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about uh, the fact that we're part of a church where we're not represented in vast numbers at all. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about uh, what that has been like for you. Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you think that has shaped you as um, a believer? And also your, your kids, 
do you think they assimilated well in this environment? So being here at Taylor's has been a blessing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had some... I have been connected with Taylor's through a ministry, the divorce care ministry. And so when I was looking for a church, um, I wanted to change churches. This was just on the list. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the criteria was to be closer to my house, you know, so I could get here. It wasn't such a chore to to drive so far to get to church. But um, I knew people here individually. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, at a church this size, it really is about getting plugged in and knowing people. Otherwise, you'll get lost. So I think that was really important coming here, already knowing folks and being able to get plugged in and everyone I've come in contact with have been, you know, what you would expect from your sisters and brothers in Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, My kids, I don't think, I think they still miss our old church, which which was predominantly black. Okay. Um, I think I could have done a better job of bringing them to like life group so they could get to know the kids better. They knew some of the kids from school and stuff, but I just think that they miss their, their old church. Um, But they, they came with me because they, you know, they're, that's where we're going. So, you know, it wasn't a big fight or anything, but I just think they still miss their old church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now that you're about to make this big move, mm-hmm. when you move to your new city and state, do you think that you will unite with a church family much like the one that you currently have? Um, and knowing that your kids really missed their previous church, mm-hmm. um, will you try to find a church family that resembled what you left before even coming to Taylor's? Well, I do like the idea of being a part of a multicultural church. Mm-hmm. Um, I think being a part of the Race Reconciliation Group has been a blessing, but it's also been heavy. Mm-hmm. And I just think as a single mom, I have to be very intentional about how I spend my time and my energy. And I just don't think that a predominantly white church is going to be an option for me going forward. Not that anybody has done anything to me at Taylor's. It's just that having to have that conversation and those, it's just, I think I want to go back to where I just don't have to explain those things or think about whether or not I'm being heard or scene or things like that. I, I think I miss that community. You miss that. Um, so I think that's what I'll be looking for. I And I know when I get there, you know, I'll be like, I mean, I wish we had, you know, other, it's, it's things <laughs> from both types of culture. It's kind of a culture yeah. at the church. It's church, but it's still difference in culture that I would want to mesh together. Yeah. But, you know, like we, we've talked about, it's just segregated when it comes to worship. I mean, multicultural churches is still something we're like, oh, they're multicultural. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, it's still <laughs> like that. So I really wish that, you know, multicultural churches was just a given. But if I have to choose going forward, I think I am just kind of weighed down with the, with you know, the discussion of, of race and the turmoil that's been in the country. And I just think I want to be in that community again. Okay. I guess that's fair. Well, we will certainly miss you here at Taylor's. I, I mean, I will. I can I remember the first time that I saw you, um, I was still in the choir mm-hmm. and, and you were in the balcony. And I'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> I mean, because we we mm-hmm. we are vast in numbers. Yeah. And, and I hope that that will someday change. I mean, I know we won't 
probably ever be 50-50, but right, right, um, right. God can do great and miraculous things. Yes. <laughs> so I'm hopeful. Yes. yes. Um, but I know you do have to do what is going to work for you and your family. But yeah. I hope that uh, for where you're going, you, you may be surprised and you may find that there are more churches that are multi Yeah, because it is a bigger city, so you're right. And I haven't started searching, so I'll let you know where I land. How about that? Okay. Okay, that's fair. But um, having been a part of the Racial Reconciliation Task Force, that is hard to say. Um, uh, What is the one thing that you would like to leave with Taylor's First Baptist before you go? Um. Because as a church, we're going to continue to grow. And one day we do hope to have more families um, that represent different cultures and backgrounds. So what what, think, what do you have for us as I a church? I think I said this in the group, the racial reconciliation group, is to, um, I think you're going to have to put yourself out there. I think when it comes to uh, discussing race and the issue of race and all that, um, I think non-people of color can be afraid to have that conversation because they don't want to like be the target of, of that anger and that. And I totally get that, but I think they may find that if they are willing to have those conversations and open up that they'll find that their, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ that are people of color will, will, would love that. Mm-hmm. Love to, to have that conversation. So just remain open. And, um, I think it's important not to just generalize and say, we just love people. Mm-hmm. You know, God just wants love and we just, it's, and this is, let me tell you how to love me. <laughs> let me okay. tell you how to love me. So, okay. you know, listen and be open. Listen and um, be open. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to miss you being here. I know I'm going to miss y'all too. Um, Mr. Jim and Kathy and Caleb and yes, well, I want to wish you the best in your new city and in Thank your you. your new job. And I know that you will do well. Mm-hmm. And if you're ever in Greenville, Taylor's, <laughs> please please stop by and, and say hello. And and hopefully you know you'll be surprised. Yeah. Like, oh, they look a little different. They're doing some different things. I know, there, right? <laughs> Um, we, we have a new pastor that we are mm-hmm. you know, excited about. You yep. had an opportunity to speak with him. And, and I think yeah, he has a awesome. heart for some things that maybe we haven't always done here. So I'm even excited about um, what he hopes to yeah. to change at some point. I think he was a good pick. Yes. Great so, teacher, too. Yes. I'm enjoying, I, mean, I, can't, I can't believe he's been able to make the, tw- I mean, the Ten Commandments interesting. <laughs> he's he's gone deeper than anyone I've ever heard. I'm like, wow. I didn't yes. know that. And he's even given us like these fun ways to record them. <laughs> I know. He always has a joke. Yes. It's been great getting him. So thank you so much for agreeing to have this conversation with me. Yes, ma'am. And uh, I wish you the best. Thank you. Okay.